here on Radio 3. Good morning, it's Friday. It's about 13 minutes past 11 o'clock right now. Join us on Facebook Live, nearly time to say hi to our mate Danny Hicks for some F1 and some Premier League. And I think there's going to be a lot to be said this week about racing for obvious news. And I'm really glad he's okay. Hello, Danny. Yeah, we're all glad, aren't we? Um, Anybody who watched the race last week, a couple of weeks ago, if you thought the season was over in Turkey when Lewis Hamilton... Uh, won his seventh world title and, you know, there's nothing much more to talk about in Formula One this season. Well, mm-hmm. um, the race uh, last week and the, and the happenings of this week have told us something completely different. Of course, we're talking about the, the, the horrendous uh, fireball crash of Romain Grosjean in the Bahrain Grand Prix last week on turn three. Um, if you're an F1 fan, you'll have seen it, all the footage by now. Um really a testament to the the safety of the cars these days and the halo, the innovation of the the head protection. And a very gracious about turn from Roman, right? Yeah, absolutely. That he he escaped with just some what appear to be kind of, his hands are bandaged up, but uh, like a mummy, but... Well, if you're looking at us on Facebook Live, I've got the odd picture to put up, Danny, as we go. And what we're looking at now is him in his hospital bed with these big gloves on, but uh, yeah, smiling. Exactly. Yeah, smiling and, and happy to be alive, obviously. Um, you know, if you're caught in that, it took him some, it took around 30 seconds to get out of the car. The car was ablaze. It was a fireball. He knew he was going to get his hands burnt by having to put them on the, the steering wheel and then the Armco barrier, which, of course, was red hot metal. Um and he knew he was going to burn his hands, but thankfully that and, and, and a cracked bone in his foot is, is all he's got, which, considering he hit that barrier head on at, in excess of 200 kilometers an hour, is quite remarkable. The car split in two, if anyone hadn't seen it, hasn't seen it, the car split in two. It was like, a, it was like an old school Armco motorway barrier. I don't know, you know, we're so used to seeing on Formula One track, sort of tyre barriers and almost rubber conveyor belts and, <coughs> excuse me, uh, things that absorb the impact. But this was like an old-fashioned metal barrier, and he just went through it like a can opener, basically. Yeah. It split apart. Um, one of the pieces of metal was protected by the, the, the titanium in the halo and sort of rose up over his head. Otherwise, it would have been much, much more serious. Um, yeah, well, we've got a couple more pictures here as we go, Danny. Um, um his his helmet looks like something out of Alien, uh, and we've just had a look at the car as well, and it just looks like a crumpled up egg box, mate. Basically, yeah, it's just completely gone, isn't it? And um, one of the great things last night, go onto YouTube and see the go to the F1 YouTube channel and have a look. Roman came out of hospital this week, and he went into the paddock last night, and he met the marshals. Who it's a lovely video. He met marshals that saved his life, basically, and. He met one and it was quite a, gave him a big hug. One guy who sort of ran into the burning flames across the road and to help get him out of his car. And uh, he gave him a big hug and basically said to him, you saved my life. And it's a lovely, touching moment. So go, race fans, go and have a look at that on YouTube. Happened in the paddock last night. The room was back in the paddock. He's talking about racing next week in Abu Dhabi. I don't think he, he can. But, I mean, the spirit of the guy is incredible. But, of course, there are... Big safety implications from the accident. I mean... Could, could you explain Halo to us? I know it's really ABC to you and racing well, fans. It's, um, it's called a Halo, but it's actually, technically, it's a head protection system. Um, it's basically the thing that's been put on the co- cockpit of the cars 
It's like a big steel post, well, it's a titanium post in front of the driver's face, mm. and then two sort of arcs of titanium coming, protecting their head like a halo, hence being called a halo. And it stops anything loose, i.e. a flying wheel, debris, or if they run into a barrier, anything that's at head height. Because obviously a driver's head sticks out of a Formula One car. It's an open racing series. It's an open cockpit. Um, and the, although they're in very, very high spec, good helmets and head restraints, anything striking the helmet at those sort of speeds could be very, very serious or even fatal, as we had with Jules Bianchi at the, the Japanese Grand Prix, the last fatality in Formula One, the Japanese Grand Prix in 2014. Um, died of his head injuries sustained there 2015. The halo was brought in as a direct result of that. And a lot of drivers at the time were opposed to it. They said it would change the look of the cars. It wasn't Formula One and this yeah. and the other. Robon Grosjean, who is on, uh, is one of the senior drivers on the sort of uh, the driver's committee, if you like to say, was vehemently against it. Well, in those pictures you've shown him from the hospital bed in the video again, he was big enough to say, Thank you, Halo. I'll I've changed my mind about it. I'll take it all back. We're looking at one now, Danny. Um, thanks very much to Richard, one of our listeners, who sent me some photos before the news. Up on our Morning Brew Facebook live feed, this thing looks like a sort of wishbone. You get in a turkey, doesn't it? Yeah. That's what we're exactly looking at that. now, yeah. It comes up and there's two kind of wishbones coming off it, and it goes around the driver's head and attaches to the car behind them. Very, very strong. I mean, these things can take tonnes and tonnes of impact weight, uh, and they're made of titanium, as I say. There's nothing much stronger than that. Um, and uh, nobody will be arguing anymore that the, the halo isn't necessary, I think. And the other thing is, I'd really forgotten, when they came in a couple of years ago, we were all complaining they made the cars look ugly, this, that, and the other, and it doesn't look right. But well, to be honest, I'm almost forgotten they're there. They, we <laughs> just become, they just become part and parcel of the car, and they're like anything else. They're like a wing on the back or whatever. We didn't complain, you know, when in the 60s when Formula One cars were basically like cigar, cigar tubes with four wheels and they started putting wings and aerodynamics all over them. Oh, it's not right. It's changed the look of the cars. Um, things evolve, things change. And if it saves lives, as it has done this week, I think, undoubtedly, then all for it. There have been some questions raised about the accident, of course, mm. and the safety. Should those old-fashioned metal arm Kobe barriers be, being used at all? I don't think so. I hope when we get to the Sakir Grand Prix on the same circuit uh, this week, although an outer circuit, a much faster one, in fact, with only four calls, so potential for danger even worse because um, it's a much, much faster circuit, that version of the circuit they're racing on this week. But hopefully all those kind of old-fashioned metal barriers, which I thought had long gone from Formula 1, hopefully they've all been replaced with something uh, more up to spec. Uh, I think they will have been. Um, Has this got um, racing historians going, Danny, about, well, yeah. you know, the, the what if we had Halo when X, Y and Z perished or whatever? Have they started that? Not, not really. I don't think there's a lot of that because I don't think you can turn the clock back. Sure, I mean, everything evolves. Um, it's like anything, isn't it? I mean, it, it takes a plane crash for new safety features to come in on passionate planes and so on and so on. Yeah. I mean, this is unfortunately sometimes it takes a tragedy or a near tragedy in this case for things to improve. But um, because no one could see it coming, that sort of accident, I've not seen anything like that where a car split into uh, a barriers failed in that respect. So I think there's going to be a big inquiry into that. And, yeah. and, and there will be new regulations for next season, I'm sure, on the back of it. But the, one of the talking points has been the drivers all went back, the race was red flag, they all went back to the pits. And then 
after about 10 or 15 minutes. And I thought the F1 did a good job because they didn't show any replays of the crash until they were sure the driver was safe and all the marshals and everybody in the vicinity were safe and no one had been seriously hurt mm. before they started replays of the incident, the fireball, and, and Grosjean escaping his car and so on. But a lot of the drivers were, were watching in the pits and they were quite shocked at the, at the pictures and were not happy with what they're seeing, no more so than Daniel Ricciardo, who was very, very unhappy afterwards. I want to express my um, disgust and disappointment with, with Formula One. Um, the way the, the incident of Grosjean was broadcast over and over, the replays over and over, uh, it was completely disrespectful and inconsiderate for his family, for all of our families watching. We're going to go race again in an hour, and every time we look on the TV, it's a ball of fire, um, and his car's cut in half. I mean, we don't, we can see that tomorrow. We don't need to see it today. And for me, it was entertainment, and they're they're playing with playing with all of our emotions, and I thought it was pretty disgusting. They are pretty disgusting, he says. Yeah, um, he was the most vociferous of the drivers. Vettel was another one who, who basically didn't want to watch um, until afterwards. Um, uh, when you've got to get back in the car, Charles Leclerc was very shocked as well. He'd seen the accident. He thought he might he might have lost his his fellow Frenchman and friend mm. um, Roman Grosjean. But uh, anyway, all safe and sound. I say back to the same circuit this week, an even faster version because it's an outer circuit and basically only has sort of four proper corners on it. We're going to see something we haven't seen for a very long time in Formula 1, and that's a lap in less than 60 seconds. Um, it's a very short lap, and it's a very fast lap. It's going to be a completely different race this week. Um, I hope it all goes off safely. But since then, of course, we've had a lot more news in the paddock. Uh, Tuesday, we, we got the news that Lewis Hamilton, um, who won last week, um, has tested positive for COVID and is out of this week's race and uh, possibly the season finale in Abu Dhabi next week if he, if he doesn't recover in time. And that would be a shame for him because he's broken every record in the book this year, hasn't he? Most Grand Prix wins. It was his 95th win on Sunday. Uh, he's equaled Michael Schumacher's seven world titles. He's taken more polls than anyone else. All the rest of it, 11 Grand Prix wins this season. He, he can't now get the record of 13 in a, in a season because there's only two races to go. Yeah. Um, but um, it just shows you, I think, People are talking about vaccines for COVID and turning the corner. We've seen a spike in cases in Hong Kong. You cannot let your guard down against this virus for a minute. Lewis Hamilton has basically been living as a hermit. Hotel room to track, to bubble, oh, back to hotel room yeah. all season. All season. After Turkey, where he won the World Championship, he took the opportunity to go home to Monaco. He let his hair down for a couple of days, met a, just a few friends, um, as you would... Of course you want to celebrate, you want to see your friends. You've lived like a monk for six months. Um, highly paid monk, it must be said. I'm not going to feel <laughs> sorry. But understandably, he went out. Turned out one of his friends later tested positive, although Lewis tested negative on the day of the race on Sunday. Monday morning, he wakes up not feeling well, mm. um, gets tested again. He's positive for COVID. He's out the race. I mean, it ha can happen that quickly with this virus, you know. Be in contact with one person. So, people, please wear your mask. Please socially distance. We've got an outbreak in Hong Kong at the moment. Let's try and suppress it. But, you know, for every every one one person's disappointment is another person's opportunity. And it means George Russell, uh, the young British Williams driver, 22 years old, 
is going to step up to Mercedes and get Hamilton's seat this weekend. So what an opportunity for George Russell. Um, uh, he's been a Mercedes junior driver before, so no real surprises they've called on him. And, and well done to Williams for letting him go to Mercedes and have this opportunity. I mean, Russell's two years at Williams. He's never... He's never scored a Grand Prix point yet. He's never got into Q3 in qualifying. Think that's all going to change this weekend. He's going to love it. If he can squeeze into the car, that is. He's a bit taller than Lewis Hamilton. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a bit of a squeeze for him. And he's got size 11 feet. And he said, he said in the press conference last night that it means he's going to have to wear uh, shoes at least a size or maybe two sizes smaller to actually what? get his feet on the pedals. Yeah, and... Um, uh, he's, uh, Hamilton's engineer, Pete Bonington, Bono, has apparently said to him, don't worry, we can make modifications to your body. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so he's going to squeeze in like a sardine into Lewis's cockpit. And uh, he's going to, you know, obviously take his opportunity. And obviously he's been asked about it in the paddock last night uh, and asked what his expectations are for this weekend. Do my best. As it always is, you know, it's going to be incredibly difficult. You know, Valtteri's been pushing Lewis a huge amount over the years. Um, I know it's not going to be an easy task coming in, especially, you know, any driver, when you're, you're in the groove, you're integrated into the team. I know the level I was at at Williams, just um, you know, having spent two years in the same car uh, with my same engineers, same mechanics, and um, changing suddenly is, there's so many new things to learn. So. I've got no expectations, no targets, um, just build up to it over Friday, learn as much as I can, enjoy it, and, and just do my best. Of course, he may, uh, he may get a second opportunity to drive a car in Abu Dhabi next week if, uh, if Lewis doesn't make it back in time, and Lewis will have to, have to be uh, clear by Monday, when he went, otherwise he won't get into Abu Dhabi from Bahrain, they won't let anyone in if they're tested positive so um uh we, we wish george well and i hope he takes his opportunity because he has been touted for many years as a mercedes driver he's been their junior driver he's, he's driven in formula two for them uh with great success in the mm -hmm. past so uh, uh good on you george and and let's uh let let's see how you go let's hope for a podium for him and uh not only that all eyes this weekend will be on mick schumacher the famous name of course the son of michael schumacher He'll be in one of the support F2 races, but it's just been announced that he's going to be a Haas driver for next year. Uh, so there's going to be a Schumacher name back on the grid next year, which is fantastic news. Alongside Nikita Mazepin, uh, the Russian driver, who's also going to drive for Haas. Mazepin, the son of a billionaire. So Haas are going to get the money and the backing from uh, the Mazepin family. And they're going to get the branding and the exposure from the Schumacher name as well. They've done a really good job. And it's going to be, sorry, Roman Grosjean, we know you nearly died last weekend, but you're not going to get a drive next year. But he knew that already, Roman, to be fair. So, um, so maybe someone else will pick him up. And it'd be nice if Roman, Roman could get back for Abu Dhabi, just have a final drive for Haas, but I don't see it happening. But uh, yeah, Mick Schumacher can wrap up the F2 title in, in, in a support race this weekend. He's uh, uh, Mazepin's third in that championship, but Schumacher leading Callum Isler, another Formula One tip for that. So we'll be watching to see how he goes in Formula 2. Very excited. I mean, obviously, it's a, it's a dream come true, really. It's it's something I've been chasing for, well, really since I'm like five years old, so really childhood. And uh, the, the day is finally here. It's just yeah, overwhelming, really. And obviously, you know, uh, one part of the goal is achieved. Now, uh, obviously, the yeah, the second is to drive it. 
Well, there you go. That is Mick Shoemaker. A shoemaker. Shoemaker. Sorry, Danny. That was an absolute genuine slip. It really was, not just because I'm a complete peasant when it comes to sport. Anyway, it's nearly time for us to get to the news. Uh, we will be back because you want to do what afterwards? Just talk a little bit of football and, uh, and an North London derby on Sunday. All right, let's do that. And fans will turn. A few more minutes with Danny Hicks. I think we're going to turn our attention to Premier League and football in a minute. But if you've got any comments about the F1 stuff, and boy, oh boy, there has been a lot mm. this past week. Facebook Live, that's where we are now. Love to hear from you. Danny. Yeah, just one, one little fact there. I was talking about Mazepin and Schumacher are going to drive house next year, both in F2 this year. Amazingly, they're only 20 days apart in age. Uh, Mazepin was born on March the 2nd, 1999, and Mick Schumacher on March the 22nd, 1999. So both born in March 1999. So uh, there's nothing, be- there's very little between them in F2 this year. There's going to be nothing between them at Haas next year, and there's very little between them in age. So two young talents we're looking forward to seeing next year. But moving on from that, unless anybody wants to throw any questions at me, as yeah. you said, or any comments... Um, a uh, bit of Premier League football to report on, and, and it's the return of fans. We're talking about, you know, just talking about COVID and distancing and being careful. Ah, I can't help but thinking, you know, it, Britain's only just come out of the latest lockdown, and uh, having fans back at football matches this weekend might be a bit too soon. Only 2,000 per game. There were 2,000 at the Emirates Stadium for Arsenal's European game last night, 4-1 win over Rapid Vienna. Um all distanced out and wearing face masks and things like that. But, uh, OK, it's going to add a bit of atmosphere, but uh, I just wonder if it, if it might not lead to... Because fans inevitably, you know, in the stadium, you can police them, but on the way to the stadium, maybe, you know, congregating in pubs and so on, it might be a bit of a recipe for disaster. But anyway, we'll see what... We've already got one Premier League game off this weekend because of COVID. The first casualty of COVID since the return from lockdown uh, all those months ago... And that's Aston Villa v Newcastle. We're supposed to play tonight, but Newcastle have had an outbreak of COVID at their training ground. Uh, and um, as a precaution, the, the game is off. And uh, so, you know, that spectre of coronavirus is still haunting sport, especially in Europe. And, still? Um, it seems like uh, it's increasingly so. Well, it's increasingly haunting us all, isn't it? And uh, But anyway, we'll see how it goes with fans back. So it's going to be a little bit different. We talk about a different atmosphere. It's going to be different because, you know, only 2,000, you know, you talk about... Big stadiums in the Premier League, you know, yeah. Old Trafford holds 76,000. The new Tottenham Stadium holds 60,000. There's only going to be 2,000 fans. Uh, they're going to echo a bit, but uh, at least it'll provide some sort of atmosphere and it's good for the players. I'm a bit torn on it, as, as you can tell. I think it's good for the players on the one hand, but I think it might be bad for trying to suppress the virus, which is what we all want to do and get back to normal on the other. But, uh, you know, vaccines hopefully coming in the next few months, and, and we'll see what happens there. But, uh, yeah, some big games this weekend. Man City v Fulham tomorrow. Chelsea v Leeds tomorrow night will be good. But the big one, the, the real big one, the league leaders. I don't often get to say that. The league leaders, Tottenham Hotspur against Arsenal, North London derby at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, or White yep. Hart Lane, as I still like to call it. It's always <laughs> been um, Unfortunately, half past midnight, a late one Sunday night, if you want to watch that. But Tottenham, you know, going great guns, aren't they? Top of the league. They're on a real tough run of games at the moment. I always say look at the league after 10 games. Well, they're 10 games in and they're top. You look at the league after 10 games and normally, generally, the teams that are up the top are the ones who are going to be battling it out. The teams down the bottom, and there's four of them who are cut off now from the rest, Fulham, West Brom, Burnley, Sheffield United, only one point, and it doesn't look like they can ever score a goal. Um, they're, they're going to be in a relegation battle for the rest of the season. You can guarantee that. And up the top, you've got Tottenham, Liverpool, Chelsea, one, two, three. 
No surprises there, really. Leicester, always a surprise to see them up there, but I don't know why anymore, because they always seem to be there or thereabouts. But Man U down in ninth, Man City in 11th, and Arsenal down in 14th. Arsenal have been having a tournament. They're going great guns in Europe. Yeah. Um, they're through a canter in the Europa League to the last 32. Tottenham got through last night with a 3-3 draw. Not quite so easy. Uh, last, but Gareth Bale scored. Harry Kane missed out. He's injured. Is he going to be back for Sunday? Um, and you'd, you'd look at the table and you'd look at the form recently and you go, well, you know, it's a Tottenham win. But things don't happen like that in, uh, in, in derby matches, as we know. I think it's going to be a great game to watch. Arsenal are going to have something to prove. They had that torrid time against Wolves last week, the, the, the clash of heads, the, the David Luiz incident and all sorts going on. Um, things are not quite right there. The defence is shaky. Um, Spurs are going great guns. Like I say they've beaten Man City in recent... They, they've drawn with Chelsea last weekend. They've got this Arsenal game, then they've got Crystal Palace next week, and then they're away to Liverpool. And if Tottenham comes through all those games, I said this a couple of weeks ago, and are still up there at the top of the table, then yeah. I think we can start talking about them in those terms but of being up there towards the end of the season. But, you know, it remains to be seen. There's many a slip. We're only 10 games in. And as a Tottenham fan, I've seen it all too often <laughs> that we throw it away. Spursy, as people like to label us. Well, we are sometimes. But anyway, it's a great game this weekend. Other highlights, Liverpool will be playing Wolves and Leicester away to Sheffield United. So expect them to get back on, on track there. But it's Tottenham-Arsenal is the big one. And uh, I'm going to be staying up for it tomorrow night. And looking forward to, hopefully, a big Tottenham win in front of a massive 2,000 crowd. <laughs> Impartiality. It's the name of the game for this boy. <laughs> Danny Hicks, thank you very much. Always fun to get your expert opinion. And um, thanks very much once again to Richard for those excellent photographs. Very descriptive of uh, the, yeah, whole, the whole deal. Yeah, take care, Danny. Bye-bye. Uh, AM, FM and live online. This is Radio 3.